police in the morning. A printer named Henry Spencer is on vacation when he learns his ex-girlfriend has given birth to a terribly deformed baby. I'm Corey. And I'm Paul. And we are the, the B-Movie, B-Movie Bros. Bros. Here we B-Movie is the best of our ability. Sometimes we get off topic, but randomness is a gift. Here we are, the final week of uh, October, cult classic month, part something, uh, with the 1978 classic Eraserhead. And you heard what the Amazon description, Amazon video description has to say about it. Let's dive right into this shit with our technical difficulties, top and bottom three. Where are we starting today? Let's start with the top first. All right, spoiler alert, friends. If you know, 1978 wasn't long enough ago for you. Number three, the character of Bill, Mary's dad. He's the most likable person in the film. Has the best lines. Number two, the tree that lives on Henry's side table, specifically because it doesn't live in a pot or anything. It just has a fucking mound of loose dirt that it's growing out of. (laughs) And every once in a while you get a shot and it's just like, yeah, there's just a tree growing out of some dirt, piling up on top of the dresser. Like, like it's just amazing. It, it, it's the only thing living in this environment because you you can't really call Henry's existence living at this point. That's a good point. Like, especially with how dead everything is in the movie. I mean, I'm pretty sure the tree is dead too, but you know, it's trying. The it, dirt's alive. Good, good effort. Number one, the baby. It just. He just lives on a desk, making noises. And then, <laughs> whenever whenever his dad gets denied sex, he just starts cackling. He's you know he goes <coughs> like he grows up to be Ernie from Sesame Street or some shit. Just just lying on the desk, cackling. A little deformed asshole. <laughs> number three, I really just the atmosphere of this movie. It's creepy and unsettling between how industrialized everything, how claustrophobic everything is, and just how like dark everything is. The um, black and white was definitely a good um, a good pick. Number two, um, yeah, every th- even the dialogue, despite the fact that there wasn't much of it, a lot of the silences and just the really awkward way of talking really just made it seem like everyone was really starved for, like, real connections and just showed how isolated everything was. And just, yeah, really disturbing. And number one, the little... The little fucking lizard baby thing was really just disturbing. Like, I mean, I'm impressed they managed to make this little tiny lizard baby, and it wasn't at all cute or like pleasant to look at. It was, it was really fucked up. And the fucking crying and the cackling is you're reminded, like, you're constantly reminded by how inhuman the thing is. It's like a real life Pokemon. Like. Yeah. We like a really like fucked up deformed Charmander or something like that. Instead of cries and cackles, instead of saying Charmander. I don't know. I, you say it was like bleak and desolate, and the, I mean the landscape, the the uh, the apartment just kind of made me think of my my short stay in uh, New York City's porn district at the New York Inn. You know, crooked stairs, seven locks on the door. You know, just a just a bed and a dresser. Sounds about right. But yeah, the the um the environment is just very much like you know. There's a meme of, like, you know, you live in your pod and work in your cage, and it just reminded me of that, like, seeing, like, this dystopian future where you're just, like, stuck in a little box and, like, uh, put away. You can't even put a crib out for your lizard baby. You just have to, like, wrap it up and slap it on top of a <laughs> desk, like. Poor little lizard baby. That brings us to the bottom. For me, number three, that poor little baby, like, nobody really loved it. Like, they were even, like, uh, we're not sure this is even a baby, people, like. 
you know, and it's just, they just let it cry and scream and, you know, eventually just makes fun of them and, you know, fucks with their lives because no, everybody hated it from the get-go. Little little thing deserved better. Number two. Did it really? Henry's wife, Mary, just kind of, like, leaves him never to return, or has it only been, like, three hours since she left? Like, there's no actually actual time frame for this movie, so I'm not sure the sequence of events or how long anything has been going on. And then, of course, number one, the radiator girl. From the cheeks to the song she sings to what sh- what is she even supposed to represent? Like, she makes the littlest sense out of a movie that makes little to no sense most of the time. And, uh, I just don't like it. Nope. No, sir. So, number three, I I enjoy kind of like the surreal kind of stuff to a certain extent, but there's a point where it's just like too abstract where like, you know, this thing could mean anything. I mean, this is far from the most like surreal like movie I've seen. And I didn't feel like it was all that pretentious, surprisingly, but um, I don't know. It's just. You definitely got to be in the right mood for something like this, and it's certainly not for everybody. Uh, number two, scenes just kind of went on for too long, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's an hour and a half, but like certain, it just didn't feel like a lot went on, but it felt like a lot did go on. It was, I don't know, something wasn't timed correctly, and I'm not sure what it was. It was like a ten-minute stage play. It yeah, was, like expand, ex- like stretched out. And number one, like, the fucking radiator lady's fucking cheeks, like, that just kind of grossed me out. Like, it was even more, like, it was even creepier than the fucking lizard baby. Like, why do that? Like, what was was that supposed to mean? Like, goddammit, like, why? Like, would you do this? Like, cheeks aren't supposed to look like that. It just looks like fucking cottage cheese on her face or something like that. Like, what the fuck? He he just had some hots for the... Chipettes, you know, the first live-action album in the Chipmunks movie. Well, that just makes it worse, because they're chip, chi- like, talking chipmunks, and I'm pretty sure they're children, too, so that makes it very wrong. <laughs> and it's also, like, causes anachronism, because I don't even think the fucking Alvin and the Chipmunks have come out. I'm certainly the fucking Chipettes who were, like, I think, first in that fucking cartoon show, like, um, weren't even thought of at that point, so I, I don't even know. Was that part of it, David Lynch? Like, God damn it, this movie... Paul traveling down the David hole. <laughs> well, we normally have a uh, a rule for our quote. We're never to use um, names as mentioned in the movie, but I think for good reason we're going to have to break that rule this time and have ourselves a good old-fashioned quote war. Quote war. We'll quote this movie back and forth. You tell us who has the better quotes. Paul will get us started with, This dinner is getting mighty cold. Counter, Paul. In heaven, everything is fine. Okay, Paul. That ends this episode's edition of Quote Wars. If you had t- tell us who had better quotes, if you have a favorite quote from the movie or anything else you'd like to say about it, please leave it in the comments below. Time to give our final take on this film. Remember, friends, our final take is a score on our shot scale. Our shot scales are of our scale, one to ten, one being the best, ten being the worst. How many shots did you need to get through this film? I gave it a five out of ten. I give it a four out of ten. So this movie is a sequence of events where stuff does and does not occur, both literally and figuratively. What is real and unreal? All we know is, in heaven, everything is fine. I'm sure there was some deep artistic meaning to everything, and scholars have been studying this film for decades, but I feel like David Lynch was just like, 
This doesn't make any sense. Followed by, what will make even less sense? And thus, Eraserhead was born. Like, I can't be mad or glad that I watched this film, but it's now part of a list of things I'll never have to see again. So Eraserhead is a bizarre experience. It's a surreal nightmare taking place in an empty industrial hell full of isolation and lizard babies. The atmosphere is unsettling and how dark, empty, and claustrophobic everything is, and you really feel the helplessness and loneliness and suppressed rage that Henry feels as he's forced to take care of this creepy lizard baby that he didn't even know existed while fantasizing about his neighbor and a weird lady with, like, cottage keys, like, cheeks and his radiator. I'm sure there are a million different interpretations of this movie, from the fear of fatherhood to the isolation brought on by industrialization. I doubt there's an official answer. David Lynch certainly never makes anything simple. Um, and I'm not really sure what to think of this one, but I'll certainly be thinking about it for a while. Either way, I never expected the prequel to Twin Peaks to be this fucking weird. Well, you know, we always have ways to... Drink away the splick. Drink away the splick. So come on and grab your drink. Let's drink away the splick. Bum, 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 bum. But remember, friends, drink responsibly. We'll give you some drinking games. Number one, every time you see bricks out of the window, take a drink. Number two, every time the baby makes a new noise, take a drink. Number three, whenever you're not sure if something is real, take a drink. And number four, anytime someone gets on the bed, take a drink. Every time you see mutant sperm, take a drink. Every time, ev- every time everything is fine in heaven, take a drink. Every time you see water or some kind of liquid and you're not sure what it is, take a drink. And every time you see the radiator lady, take a drink. And those are your ways to drink away the split. If you have any thoughts about this movie or anything else, be more related. Let's comment on either iTunes or SoundCloud. You'll see emails beermoviebros.com. Like us on Facebook at beermoviebros. And my personal Twitter at beermoviepaul. You can check out all of their content, including reviews, interviews, and chats on website beermoviebros.com. We have new shows each week. If you want to help support the show, you can consider donating to our PayPal or Patreon accounts. Links are right below. Well, as we've come to the end of week four and the final week of Cult Classic Month, let's rank these movies we've seen this month. In the number four spot for me was uh, Dark Star, a, you know, mundane look at the space explorer's life. Number three, Eraserhead. It both did and did not happen. Number two, 13 Ghosts, a very fun, very interesting uh, ghost story. And number one, Mr. Nasty. Like I've said every week, I could just put this on any time for any occasion whether to sit down and watch it or just have some nice, enjoyable background music, noise, whatever you want to call it. This month has definitely been weird, as most uh, cult classic months are, just because there's no real, like, all the movies are completely different. Like, I mean, you've got Dark Star, which is a low-budget sci-fi comedy film. You've got Eraserhead, which is um, an art film, and Mr. Nasty and 13 Ghosts, but... I guess if I had to rank it for how much I enjoyed them, I would put Dark Star at number four. I mean, I can appreciate what like John Carpenter is trying to do, but overall it just wasn't really, I don't know, there's a lot of like times where it was kind of boring, and it's rather forgettable. In fact, like we were talking about movies that we watched this month, and I had actually forgotten about that one for a little while. Number three, Eraserhead. It certainly made me feel ways about stuff, but um, I, 
yeah, I'll definitely be thinking about it for a while. I'll probably watch it again at some point in a few years, not anytime soon. But um, yeah, it was definitely an experience. But number two was Mr. Nasty's insult tapes. It's it's just funny. It's uh, simple and you know makes me forget about all the troubles of the world. But number one was Thirteen Ghosts, which was genuinely overall a really good film. And you know you don't have to be um, really looking for anything bizarre or different or anything to just enjoy it. So, yeah, I, I have to go with that for number one. Well, it took us a while to figure out what we wanted to do uh, for our theme next month, and we're going to go ahead and go with a ghost month. And we'll take a look next week at the 1996 film The Frighteners, starring Michael J. Fox and Jeffrey Combs. Oh, my. So until next time, friends, be brave, be alive, and be back for more. Get on the next call. I'll see you in the room.